everybody. Welcome to River Glen. Welcome everybody in Pewaukee and online. Normally I would say welcome everybody here in Waukesha, but I'm not in Waukesha. I'm giving this message from a, a different location. I'm on the shore of Lake Michigan for a couple reasons. One reason I'm here is because in a moment, I want to share a story with you from the Bible that takes place near a large body of water called the Mediterranean Sea. Now, obviously we can't go to the Mediterranean, but Lake Michigan is the most similar body of water that we have. Another reason I'm standing here is because we're starting a brand new series called Bless. And this series is all about going outside the walls of our church and blessing people and changing our world one person at a time. So I thought it'd be good for me to share the message with you from a location outside the walls of our church building. Jesus spent a lot of time outside the walls of the temple, reaching out to new people, people that were far from him, and he got criticized for it. The religious leaders said things like this about Jesus, that he welcomed sinners and he eats with them. In other words, Jesus didn't just tolerate sinners, Jesus sits down with them and eats with them. He welcomes them. Jesus likes sinners. And then Jesus told this little story in response to the uh, criticism of the religious leaders. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the shepherd has 100 sheep and he loses one. Now, in our culture, we might think, you know, why risk leaving the 99 and going after one lost sheep? Businessman or woman might do the math and say, no big deal. Just write that one off as a business expense. But in the ancient world in the first century, they valued and they cared about sheep. Everybody listening to Jesus in that audience would have agreed a good shepherd will do anything to find a lost sheep. Now, most of us don't have sheep, but have you ever lost something valuable? Maybe your wallet or your keys, a phone. I lost my phone a couple of years ago and I spent a couple of days looking for it because of its value. You ever lost something really valuable? You ever lost a child, even for a few minutes? in a busy store. You don't say, no big deal. I've got two or three other kids. No, you feel your heart start pounding and you go on an all out search for your lost child. And that's how God feels about every person in this world. Here's what this means for us today. The people who are not sitting next to you in church today, the people who are not watching online with us today, those who don't have a relationship with God yet matter more to God than anything else. That's the heart of God. And that's the heart of our church. We value the lost one over the found 99. God wants us to do whatever it takes to help more people find and follow Jesus. Jesus gave this command to us in Matthew chapter 28. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word go means as you go about your life, wherever you go, be on mission for Jesus, caring for people, blessing them one at a time with the good news. Now, I know some of you are probably breaking a sweat right now. You're like, Ben, I work 60 hours a week. I have a minivan and 2.5 kids and they play soccer and I just don't have time for anything else. And I don't really know how to help somebody find and follow Jesus. What if somebody asked me a question 
and I don't know the answer. I'm just going to let the pastors talk about that stuff. But I've got good news for you. The approach that we're going to share with you in this series is not about more time. It's about more intentionality. It's about taking things that you're already doing and thinking about them in a different way. It's about going through your life and keeping an eye on the mission of helping people find Jesus instead of just hoping people find Jesus. And this approach is, is a lot simpler and easier and more fun than you might think. Anybody can do it. I want to share with you a little bit of research that might surprise you and encourage you. According to Gallup research, almost 90% of Americans say they believe in God. That's a high number. Think about that. Nine out of 10 of your closest friends, nine of them would say, yeah, I believe in God. That's great. Now, they may not know anything about church or the Bible or have a relationship with Jesus, but most of the people around you already believe in God, and they just need someone they trust to help them find their way to the one true God. Check this out, about 80% of people who are not part of any church said, I am open to talking about faith with someone who is a friend of mine and who values it themselves. And with younger adults in their 20s and 30s, the percentage goes even higher. The vast majority of people are wide open and interested in talking about this with a friend, with someone they trust and feel comfortable with. Barner Research asked another question. What do you value the most in a person you would feel comfortable with talking about spiritual matters? I want to share with you the top two qualities that non-Christians said would make them feel comfortable opening up and talking about spiritual matters. Here's the top one. Someone who would listen without judgment. Someone who would just hear my questions and care enough just to listen, not try to convict or convince or convert or coerce me. But the sad news is that two-thirds of them said they have no one in their life that fits that description. Second quality, number two, allow them to draw their own conclusions. They said, I would be comfortable if somebody would just allow me to draw my own conclusions. You don't try to force a conclusion on them. You let them have their own spiritual journey. I want you to think about these top two qualities that non-Christians gave for someone they would feel comfortable with talking about spiritual matters. Someone who listens to you without judgment and offers counsel, but lets, you to, but lets you come to your own conclusions and just loves you no matter what. What do you call that kind of person? What do you call that type of person? That's a friend. We call that a friend. Here's what this means for us. The best approach for you to help someone find Jesus, it looks more like making a friend than preaching a sermon. So today, as we start a new series, I want to begin to share with you a strategy for developing friendships and change the world one person at a time. This strategy comes from a, a new book by Dave and John Ferguson called Bless, How to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. By the way, if you're looking for a good book to read per personally or study in your group, I would highly recommend this book. Several of our small groups have already started studying this book. We're going to hear from some of them in this series. As we go through this series, we're going to use the word BLESS as an acronym. And today we start with the letter B. Here's what the letter B stands for. B, begin with prayer. If you want to love others and change the world one person at a time, begin with prayer. Again, it's not necessarily more time in prayer. It's just in the prayers that I have, I make sure that I'm praying and saying, God, show me who can I bless today? Show me someone who needs 
your love. If you study the life of Jesus, you see a consistent pattern of prayer. Luke chapter 5 tells us that Jesus often withdrew from the crowds and prayed to God. Mark chapter 1 tells us that Jesus would set aside time for prayer early in the morning. What a great way to, to begin our day. Because prayer opens our heart and mind to God so that we receive his direction and discover the people and places where God calls us to bless. And it makes sense to begin with prayer because prayer not only guides us, prayer activates God's power. I don't have the power to change anybody. You don't have the power to change anybody, but God does. So to encourage us and help us begin with prayer, I wanna share a story with you from the Bible about the power of prayer. And then I want you to hear from a couple of people who are using prayer to bless others and change the world one person at a time. The story is about a prophet named Elijah who prayed a powerful prayer near the Mediterranean Sea. James chapter five introduces the story and says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed this time for rain and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. So James says that Elijah was a man just like us. But as I read about the life of Elijah and the power of his prayers, I think to myself, he seems nothing like me. Just look at the examples that James gives. One time Elijah told people it's not gonna rain and he prayed and for three and a half years it didn't rain. Then Elijah prays that it would rain and the heavens opened up. I can't even pray for an open parking spot at Woodman's. And this guy is controlling Doppler radar. I don't get it. Isn't that frustrating to you when your prayers aren't answered the way that you hoped they would be? Maybe you pray for a certain job and don't get it. You pray to get into a certain college and don't get in. And so when James says that Elijah was a man just like us, he, he, he prayed for rain and it, and, it, and it rained, part of me is going, yeah, he's not really like us. Look at what James says next in the uh, very, very next verse that follows. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when you read this verse initially, you might think that's it. Elijah was just really righteous and super spiritual. And that's why his prayer life was so powerful and effective, but that's not it. In fact, look at what New Testament scholar and theologian Douglas Moo says about this word righteous in the book of, of James. He says, the righteous person is simply a believer a person who has received forgiveness through Jesus. In other words, Elijah didn't have a built-in advantage. He wasn't really righteous or super spiritual. He simply had faith in God. And James says, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a powerful and effective prayer life as well. But that raises an important question, doesn't it? If Elijah was a man just like us, then why isn't our prayer life as powerful and effective as his? Well, I see three reasons, three qualities of an effective and powerful prayer life that'll help us, I think, change the world one person at a time. But before we get to those three qualities, I wanna give you some background, some context. James mentions this story about Elijah praying for rain, but it's actually found in the Old Testament uh, book called 1 Kings. At the end of 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes to the king at the time, a guy named King Ahab, and he says, Ahab, you have been such a sinful and wicked and idolatrous king. It is not going to rain for three and a half years, which devastated their agricultural-based economy. 
But when the three and a half years ended, Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel near the Mediterranean Sea and he begins to pray. Let's pick things up in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says this, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he fell to the ground and prayed. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea, the Mediterranean. Servant went and looked, but he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look and seven times he went. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, if you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. That's the example the Bible gives of a powerful and effective prayer. And remember, it says Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, you can have a powerful and effective prayer life. But it starts with three qualities. Here's the first one. You have to be specific. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. And Elijah specifically prays for rain. He's not praying for partly cloudy skies. He's not praying for general precipitation in the air. He gets very specific. He prays for rain. And if we want to bless others and change the world one person at a time, we need to get specific in our prayers. I used to pray general prayers like, God, help me today. And that's okay, but how would I know if God answered it? Or God be with me today, but God already promised in the Bible that he's gonna be with us. So what am I really asking God to do? And I'm not trying to pick on those prayers. I've prayed those myself, but here's the point. If your prayers are vague, then your answers to prayer will be equally as vague. That's why today I wanna challenge you to get specific in your prayers. What if you picked out one or two specific people who need Jesus and began to pray for them this week. I like to write down specific prayer requests that I bring to God in my prayer journal. I'll write down specific names of people that I pray for, names of people that I want God to heal and comfort. And I'll pray specifically for our neighbors that live around us. I'll pray for opportunities to get to know them better and to serve them. And I'll ask God for someone to bless that particular day. And every time you pray for someone or something specific and you see God answer that prayer, it increases your faith. Now, I know God doesn't answer every specific prayer the way we want. I've prayed specifically for something for three years and have seen zero improvement. I've heard people say that God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and yes, but not right now. And I believe that's true. I've come to believe two things about God. God knows things that I don't know, and God wants the very best for my life. And when you believe those two things, you don't get that bothered by unanswered prayers. Think about it this way. If you're a parent of young children, those children come to you with requests all the time. And you know some things they don't know, and you want the best for them. Sometimes you'll say yes to their request. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you say yes, but not right now. You have to wait until di after dinner or until tomorrow. And I believe God does the same with us. But here's my point. If Elijah had prayed some vague prayer about partly cloudy skies, I don't think James ever would have used him as an example of a powerful and effective prayer life. Be specific. Here's the second quality of a powerful and effective prayer life. You have to be persistent. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 for a moment. So Elijah sends out his servant to look towards the Mediterranean Sea. 
presumably to report back on rain clouds forming on the horizon because the Mediterranean Sea affected the weather in Israel, just like Lake Michigan affects the weather around Milwaukee. But look at what it says happened. It says the servant went and looked, but he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look and seven times he went. This must have felt embarrassing for Elijah. I mean, everyone, it's gonna rain. Just look out the horizon right now. They come back and they're like, boss, there's nothing there. Go look again. Surely the rain clouds are forming as I speak. They come back, they're like, there's still nothing there. Seven times he sends them out. I would have quit. I would have quit after the first time. I would have said, you know what? I guess it's not gonna happen. But Elijah didn't quit and here's why. He did not allow his outward circumstances to affect his inward confidence in God. He knew that God could, and in this case would, answer his prayer for rain. It was only a matter of time. Let me ask you a question. How persistent are you in your prayers? I know people who pray about something once or twice, and when it doesn't happen, they just throw in the towel and they go, well, you know, I guess God doesn't want to answer my prayers. As I mentioned, there's something that I've prayed for uh, for about three years, and I've seen no answer yet, but I'll tell you something. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to quit because what if God wants to answer that prayer in year four? What if God wants to answer that prayer in year 10 or year 20? Who do you need to keep praying for? Who or what in your life that you used to pray for, but then you thought, well, I guess that God's not going to do anything. I'm just going to quit. You need to be persistent. It's the second quality of a powerful and effective prayer life. Here's the third quality. You need to be expectant. So you need to pray for someone specifically, and then you need, to keep, you need to be persistent and keep praying, but then you need to actually believe that God can or will answer your prayer. So Elijah sends the servant out to look for clouds over the Mediterranean Sea. Six times he comes back and he's like, I don't see anything. But here's what happened on the seventh time. It says the seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, I don't know the size of your hands, but uh, I wouldn't get all that excited about uh, this. I mean, if he came back and he was like, there's a big monsoon brewing, I'd be like, yes. But when he comes back and he's like, you know, I saw something, there was like one cloud in the sky. If you put your hand up, maybe the size of your hand or so, I wouldn't get that excited about this. But look at how Elijah responds. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, remember, that was the king that he had confronted. He says, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the winds rose and a heavy rain came. Do you have any clouds on the horizon of your life right now? Maybe this last year or two has been really hard on your marriage and you look back and you go, I never thought we'd go through a season like this. I never knew it was gonna be so hard. But then in the last month or so, you look up on the horizon and there's this little cloud and it's not real big right now, but it's, it seems to be getting bigger and it's a cloud of God's blessing that's about to rain down on your life. And you say to your spouse, you say, you know, I think we just need to hold on because I think better days are ahead. There's some hope. It's a really small cloud right now, but I'm telling you, it's, it's gonna get bigger. Maybe you've got little kids at home right now and it's, a really challenging season of life, isn't it? I mean, you've got sleepless nights, crying babies, 
What if you took your eyes off your circumstances for just a moment and you looked on the horizon and you saw this cloud? It's not real big right now, but it's going to get bigger. It's the blessing of God raining down on your life. Maybe you start praying for someone in your life who needs Jesus, maybe a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. You pray for an opportunity to get to know them better. You pray for their heart to open up to God. You pray for an opportunity to invite them to church. And maybe you look up and, and there's a small cloud and it's not real big right now, but it's gonna get bigger. It's the blessing of God raining down on your life. God's gonna use you to change uh, the world one person at a time. Sometimes we can talk ourselves out of it. We're like, that's just a small cloud. But many times when Jesus answered someone's prayer, he pointed to their faith. What if you had the expectancy that God could and would answer that prayer in your life? I want you to hear from a couple of people in our church who started praying for specific people that God put in their life. First story is from my wife, Marnie. And then the second is from a friend from church named Tim O'Neill. Take a look. Hi, I'm Marnie. So last summer, Ben did a message series called Love Where You Live. And he handed out these pieces of paper with houses on them. And we were supposed to write down our neighbors' names and then their stories. And I realized that I don't even know some of their names, um, much less their stories. So last summer, I committed to praying um, for opportunities to get to know my neighbors. And, um, and then something happened last summer. All of a sudden, we heard screaming and barking and could see dogs running around like crazy in our neighborhood. So I realized that the dog belonged to one of my neighbors. So she seemed um, quite upset. I so I decided to walk over and have a conversation with her. Once the dogs were retrieved, uh, we all settled back into our houses for the night, but I just had this feeling um, that I needed to do something more for her. So um, that day I put together a little gift and wrote her a note and just said, I don't even know your name, but my name is Marnie and um, if you ever need anything, let me know and I gave her my cell phone number. The next day, I get a text from her, and we started a texting conversation. I just asked her, I knew that um, she had a young son, and I watched my granddaughters on Wednesday, so I asked her if she ever wanted to walk down to the park with the kids. So we tried to set up a few dates, nothing worked out. Um, but I continued to pray for her all winter long and um, never saw her in the winter. That's just the way it is in Wisconsin. So just a few weeks ago, my granddaughter Emily and I were on a walk and my neighbor happened to be out with her son. So we walked over there and as the kids were playing, she and I had a great conversation. And at the end of it, she invited me and my granddaughter to um, her son's birthday party. And I have to admit, I'm kind of nervous about going to a birthday party where I really don't know anybody but my granddaughter is really looking forward to the big blow-ups they're gonna have in their backyard. I feel like prayer is what opens up the opportunities for us to meet our neighbors. It felt awkward to just walk up cold and have a conversation with people or knock on their doors. That, that didn't feel natural to me. When I began to pray for my neighbors um, last summer, um, I had just had so many opportunities to meet and talk with some of my neighbors and to get to know them a little bit better. And I don't think it would have happened if I hadn't committed to praying for them. 
My name's Tim O'Neill and I attend the Waukesha campus. Well, I think we've been encouraged in previous messages, you know, to pray for other people. And I think what BLESS did for me is provided more structure and intentionality um, towards that prayer. So, um, you know, we might have a lot of different people in our lives, not just neighbors, but, um, you know, neighborhood neighbors, but we have family members, we have people at work, we have people in hobbies that, um, we can all pray for and I think having structure and having a plan for what that prayer is going to look like um, helped me identify different people that um, I could try to bless. So I think the intentionality comes into play too with what am I going to do with each individual person and I think prayer is really important with that. There's a couple uh, who ended up getting baptized here on Easter Sunday. Um, that were very important in my life. They were, I've known them for almost 30 years and um, I'd been praying for them for years. And, and the other person is um, uh, somebody that I was very close to in business for seven years and he was an avowed atheist. And uh, my wife and I prayed for him for a number of years and God just continued to put more and more people into his life um, that spoke the gospel truth to him. Uh, I had lunch with him recently and it was really obvious to me that there had been a change and Jesus had changed him. So I think what prayer does for me is it gives me direction, um, purpose, uh, and on those days when I feel closer to God um, than others, I think it gives me discernment about what I can do and how I can approach people and who I should be talking to. Um, I mean really without talking to him, how would I know what he wants me to do? So here's my challenge for all of us, including myself. Set aside some time every day to pray. And I want you to fill out this card that we handed out to you or posted for you online. Who are some people and places that God wants you to bless? Who's your one? Write down some names of people. And what are some places where God wants to use you to bless other people? And then begin to pray specifically, persistently, and expectantly. And join us for the rest of this series. We begin with prayer. But there are four more practices that'll help us change the world one person at a time. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love that is so powerful that you would leave the, the 99 to go find the lost one. God, all of us were that one at some point and we're just so grateful for your love. And, and now God, you send us out. You call us to have that same love and care for others. And I pray that you'll use this uh, series to, to help us to, to, to bless other people. And God, would you just inspire us to begin today with prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.